What's happening? Welcome to Throwing Stones alongside Ryan Griffin. I'm Matt Basson. If you don't know, you should know. We talking hoops, a whole lot of hoops. And before we get to that, I ain't going to forget this time, Ryan. There you <laughs> go. Like and subscribe wherever you can find us. That'd be Facebook, oh. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, full apps on YouTube, episodes on DetroitSportsNation.com. All right, Ryan, let's get it. The playing almost done. We got two spots left. The two of us, we went three for four in our picks. The Clippers let us down. Just blew that game. I don't know how. How you going to let them, especially without Carl Anthony Towns, how the hell you blow that game. But <laughs> everyone else did what we thought they'd do. The Nets took care of the Cavs. The Hornets absolutely took care of the Hawks. And the Pelicans held on against the San Antonio Spurs, maybe sending Pop into retirement. Yeah, um, the, the Clippers... They did let us down. I was looking stupid, saying they might be, you know, the, the most dangerous lower seeded team in the playoffs. Uh, not, not that game at least, mm-hmm. right? They still got one more game to get in to to try and do that and get some of their guys back. Uh, I think it'll be Pop's last game. I, I guess I feel kind of bad he didn't get any type of like retirement tour or anything like that. You know, he didn't do the Coach K. I'm going to announce it's my last season, but before everything happened, but. I mean, it makes sense. The Spurs don't have so much of a future. I'm happy the Pelicans, you know, are going to at least have a chance to get into the playoffs uh, because I do want to see Zion Williamson at some point. There's another video of him today dunking. So I'm I'm just hoping that happens. And, uh, yeah, the plan was – it's been pretty fun so far. I know we had the one stinker where Atlanta just blew the doors off of, um, off of Charlotte. Uh, but even, you know, at first – Trey and LaMelo didn't even really play all that well in that game. I think both probably started like one for eight or one for nine. So you're hoping to see like a battle of two of the best young guards. And you really didn't get that. Brooklyn was in the, you know, driver's seat the whole way. And then Cleveland made a made a push to come back at the end. So I, I think the playing tournament, like we've seen at least for, you know, this year and last year, you're going to get some good games out of it. Um, but I think most of the time the better team does end up winning. Yeah, and I mean, if you were going to pick a game, I guess if you were going to pick a game to have a blowout, looking back on it, you know, hindsight 2020, considering how the Hawks got blown out, sorry, how the Hornets got blown out last year by the Pacers, and then the same thing happened this year. Meanwhile, the Hawks, you know, everything we talked about last time, making that run to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, you figured that's probably the game. and the Hawks are just the better team. The Hornets just aren't there yet. You know, they, they got a young squad, then not that the Hawks don't, but the Hawks just seem to have it more together than the Hornets do so far. And, uh, you know, that, that was shown last year with that run to the Eastern Conference Finals that they made. But for most of the games, you know, they were they were pretty good. You know, they didn't really get away. Obviously, the Cavs were able to come back against the net, so they weren't able to pull away. Uh, the New Orleans kept San Antonio at arm's length, but San Antonio kept making those runs to get yeah. back to nine, get down, down, uh, yeah. down nine with like seven minutes left or something. Yeah, you know they, yeah. they tried to make it a game. Uh, and the Clippers, I mean, obviously, you know they were ahead for most of the game against Minnesota, and then just couldn't hang on. Uh, so now we are left with the Hawks and the Cavaliers. And we have Minnesota, sorry, not Minnesota, sorry, the the Clippers and the Pelicans. So I still think what we said about the Clippers is a possibility. They just got to take care of business at home against the Pelicans to make sure they get that eight eight seed and get into the playoffs. But 
you know, as, as good as Phoenix is playing, I don't think the Clippers could take them down. I'm almost positive the Pelicans couldn't take them down, but I think the Clippers would give them a better matchup. Uh, but, you know, exactly what you were saying as a one seed, you don't want to see that team because they have experience. They have, you know, championship caliber players on that team that could make it a game. But I do think Phoenix is head and shoulders above the Clippers as dangerous as LA could be. The Phoenix Suns have just looked like everything they were last year before blowing the finals to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, the Suns are the best team in the West. It seems like by by a healthy margin. And with, you know, both the teams having question marks that could be the eighth seed, whether it's the Clippers or the Pelicans, like if either one of those stars that's missing time comes back, then if you're the Suns, you're kind of effed. Because now, you know, say you get an eight seed Pelicans team, where now you have Ingram, McCollum, and Zion to deal with. And while the Suns are still the better team, like that's not that's not the typical firepower that an AC is going to bring you. Or mm-hmm. same thing if Kawhi comes back, then I, I don't think the Clippers would be favored to win the series. But if you have a full-strength Clippers team where now it's Kawhi and Paul George, you know, I, that's that could easily be a seven-game, like, dogfight. Mm-hmm. And it's not – you know, it's just not a layup anymore. Like traditionally you see the one and the eight is. And I think that that's one of the things that the plan is going to give us um, going forward is kind of like these mystery teams or maybe these teams that are just getting hot uh, at, at the right moment. And it might make it a little bit more difficult, honestly, on the one seeds in the future. Um, just in terms of like maybe how close the games are or how tight some of these games are. Not necessarily that the ones are going to start losing to the eights every year. But I could see it, you know, not being the dog walk like it was mm-hmm. um, in the years prior. And, you know, same thing with Atlanta, man. Like if I'm if I'm a one seed, why do I want to see the team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year? And uh, as far as the Cavs go, what are you going to do with Rookie of the Year now if you guys miss the playoffs? You're just like the business. So mm-hmm. I want to hear. Throw well, those wins out the window. So for the Cavs, you know, news is that Jared Allen is trying to come back and play in this game. You know, he's, he's coming back from that, you know, that fractured finger. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, been out for more than a month now. So he is trying to make that game for that comeback. Uh, I I don't know how much it'll matter with him playing at, you know, 70%. I, I like the Hawks in that game, um, even though the Cavs are the home team in that one. Um, I like the Clippers in their game against the Pelicans. I just, I think they're... I think they're a better team. It wouldn't shock me any of these four teams winning. Um, but I do think we're going to get one road win, and it's the Hawks. And I think we're going to get one home win, and it's the Clippers. But nothing's going to shock me out of these four teams if any of them come out of it. Yeah. And I like one thing I do like about the play-in is sort of that, right, is you have all these teams, and there's usually not an overwhelming favorite. Another thing that I really like is, like you saw last year, John Morant had a great year, but the play-in is kind of where, like, he established himself, which is weird because the stats don't count for the playoffs. They don't count for the regular season. It's just, like, this mythical stat bubble, right? Like, it doesn't go on on either average. But you saw John Morant last year kind of assert himself, and that's where I think most people took notice. Not that he didn't have a good year, but now you're on a national game against Steph Curry, um, and then John Morant was able to win. And this year, you, you kind of saw the same thing with Anthony Edwards, right? Anthony Edwards, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell, not to the same extent because he's been in the NBA for, for a while now. But I, 
I like it because I think you're going to get more of these teams or even maybe next year with the Kate Cunningham, right? You're going to get these younger guys, uh, these first, second overall picks, whatever the case is. And in the second or third years into their career, when they're really starting to like figure the game out, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of like, I don't like play in all-stars as I guess the best way you could frame it where mm -hmm. it's that real like first big game. And I feel like, you know, it's going to give a lot of these guys that um, that kind of exposure to start like those narratives early of, oh, he performed in a big game, even though it was just a play in. But like, you saw the Wolves going crazy after they won. You know, it means a lot to these guys. And I think it's cool, at least for two years in a row that we a small sample size. But we've had a John Morant coming out party and we've had like an Ant Edwards coming out party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like about it that that you get that. For teams that normally wouldn't make the playoffs, especially the nine and the tens, but just in general, having this winner take all game where you know you've got to perform at your best if you are going to continue. So it's like a game seven uh, for most of the teams playing in this play in tournament. So I like that we get that feeling. It's, you know, it's. They made it like the NCAA tournament on purpose. I mean, shoot, you're seeing the commercials now to fill out your NBA bracket. Like, yeah. all right, well, now we know why you made the, this play-in tournament in the first place. You want to try I, and get funny. I, I did, by the way. There, filling that bracket out. But it's fun to see because, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys haven't had to experience this since college or the guys that actually even skipped college, you know, to be able to play in that winner-take-all kind of game where you have to give it your all. And in an 82-game season – you know, maybe half the games, you're not going to get that where guys are just, you know, oh, this is game, you know, 40 out of 82. You know, I don't have to give 100 percent for this game, but you got this yeah. one game. You got to give it your all. So it's nice to see. It's one of the bigger complaints you get from people who prefer college basketball to the NBA is that you're going to get there all in college and in the NBA, maybe not so much. But in this situation, it's forced. And so I'm a fan of that. And I'm also a fan of the teams that normally wouldn't get this opportunity in years past are getting this opportunity. And exactly what you said with the young cats that are, you know, getting a chance to kind of, you know, stake their name to the NBA and really, you know, get a chance to shine and grow from it. Uh, I think this play in tournament is, has given us a lot of that. Yeah, that's, that's kind of funny because that's like the one of the things that I don't like the most is the fact that like a 10 seed who has 10 less wins than the 7 seed like can, can still get in over that 7 seed. But at the same time, like I'm I'm a glutton for the NBA and I'm going to watch all the games. So my complaint means nothing because I'm yeah. just – right, well, before, we, before we dive into the actual NBA playoffs, we got to talk about Minnesota. <laughs> we got to right. talk about their, you know – Kobe like over the over the Celtics jumping on the scorers table celebration after game seven, where you know Minnesota is just popping off. They're following the example of Patrick Beverly Beverly. Obviously, Beverly wanted this win. He feels very disrespected by what happened with the Clippers and him being let go. He has not been quiet about that. He has not been shy about that. Uh before I give my opinion on where I stand on that, where do you stand on the Timberwolves celebration after one of the playing games? I like I, I like it. I like uh, I'm I'm glad that these guys care. You just mentioned like the the rap that the NBA players get for good reason for the regular season where a lot of the games don't matter or a lot of them don't care or whatever. Uh, I, I like seeing that they care. Was it over the top? Like, yeah, probably. 
But it's it's no different than like a baseball team, you know, when they win a wild card or something, at least mm-hmm. to me. Like you win the wild card, you start popping champagne or, or a college team. Again, we just talked about college. You know, you win a game to go to the Sweet 16 and now and now you're going crazy. Like uh, it's so to me, it's it's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, Beverly, it's different for different teams, too. I know Minnesota hadn't been to the playoffs in a while. And last time they were there, they were in eight seed and they got, uh, you know, smashed. But it's I don't know. I, I liked it. I wanted to find a way to make fun of it because in the moment I did think it was like ridiculous and silly. But um, I, I'm glad seeing that these guys care. And, I you know, I think it's fun. I agree. I'm glad seeing these guys care. Uh, they took it a little too far. Well, sorry, let me, let me, let me back up. Patrick Beverly took it a little too far. Wolves, I didn't see too much out of them, but Beverly definitely had a whole bunch of vitriol coming out of his mouth versus his former team, you know, take their asses home and all that long flight to LA and all that stuff. A uh, little, little much on that one, but it's Patrick Beverly. That's what he, it's what you get from him. That man has a mouth on him and he's going to use it. Uh, but I agree. I like that they care and that you see that they care that this wouldn't matter to them. And, you know, in the beginning, they were celebrating it with their fans. And so that I like to see. I like to see them engaging the fan base, no matter what the team is, uh, for the most part, except for Boston and maybe San Antonio and maybe Chicago. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, I like to see the teams, you know, ingratiating the fans into it, celebrating with them. Uh, so I'm I'm more on the J.J. Redick side of the argument <laughs> Than yeah. I am the other side. Yeah, I think it's like the stupidest thing that I saw was you did like the Pat Bev and he's crying and like whatever. Like that's fine. That's one that you can analyze him. Like ah, maybe too far. But then they showed a picture of like Carl Anthony Towns kissing his girlfriend. It was like he <laughs> could have done that after a regular game and like right. it wouldn't have been too much. So I, I think people were just hating just to hate. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. All right. So we got six of the eight matchups ready to go. We're still waiting to find out who the eight seed is going to be. But in the East, we know that the number two seed, Boston Celtics, are going to be hosting the Brooklyn Nets, the seven seed. We know that the three seed, Milwaukee Bucks, are going to be hosting the six seed, Chicago Bulls. And we know the four seed, Philadelphia 76ers, are going to be hosting the five seed, Toronto Raptors. So we'll go side by side on this one. So I'll get to the West afterwards. But let's go with the East first. Uh, Which series do you think is more likely to have the blowout? And which series do you think is going to come down to the wire? I think the one that's most likely to have the blowout is pretty easily uh, Milwaukee and Chicago. Chicago's been, like, really bad since they started off the year really good. And Milwaukee just seems like a team that's, you know, not not here for, you know, games in the playoffs. Like, they're, they're not here to fool around. Mm-hmm. Uh, their leader is certainly not a guy known to take games off. Um, you know, it seems like they mean business. They seem like the type of team that's not going to get lackadaisical after going up 3-0 and like, okay, we'll give them game four. We'll win game five at home. They seem like they want to end you in four. And that's, that's what I think will happen. I think the one most likely to go to game seven in the East is obviously Boston and, uh, Brooklyn, you know, Boston certainly looks like the, the better team and they played like the better team now, but you still have Kyrie Irving. You still have Kevin Durant. And then, you know, today it came out, Ben Simmons was eyeing games four through six as a comeback, right? That's potentially the knockout portion of it. And if you add Ben Simmons to that team, then they, like it's a completely different dynamic, even if he's not playing 40 minutes from the jump. But anytime you have, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, it's never it's never going to be an easy game for you. And I mean, we saw it, Ky- Kyrie started off 12 for 12 in the playing game and KD had 
what, 25 points and 12 assists or something. Like, it, it's a team that plays well. You know, they got shooters all over the place. Uh, they they have some bigs. You know, they do have Andre Drummond. Uh, they do have Claxton. So, it's it's more bodies than I guess we thought they'd have. But I think that's the best first-round matchup um, in, in all the playoffs and the one I'm most excited to watch. I can't. So, I agree with you, first of all, on the blowout. Even when the Bulls were good this year, they sucked against the best teams in the yeah. East and West. They, they didn't be anybody good. Right. So even when they were good, they weren't good against the teams that matter, the teams they're going to face in the playoffs. And Milwaukee, I think, is just on another level. You've seen it throughout the years that they have gotten and, and taken these steps to get better and better. And then obviously it culminated with a championship last year. But the I don't know if the Boston – Nets game is going to be a better series or the Philadelphia Toronto series is going to be a better series. I think Boston is still the better team than the Nets. And it's crazy to say, when you look at the top two stars for the Brooklyn Nets, but, and with Boston losing their defensive centerpiece and Robert Williams, who apparently they're talking about might come back in time for this series. I don't know how that's possible, but maybe, uh, but you know, you're looking for that Ascension, for Tatum and Brown, you know, kind of take those next steps, especially Tatum. Tatum's the one they all focus on. Is he going to be the next KD and all that stuff? Brown's kind of the, the secondary out of it. But I just think Boston has more complete pieces around them that you can kind of depend on the other guys to step up more than you can for the guys rocking a Nets jersey, despite all the names that you can mention on the Brooklyn Nets, from Blake Griffin to Andre Drummond, you know, to Seth Curry, uh, to Bruce Brown, you know, and – God, you know, Pistons fan, Pistons must be kicking themselves. They didn't use Bruce Brown right, clearly. You just add that one to the list, put him, Chris Middleton, and a bunch of others on the list of players that the Pistons just either gave up too early on or just didn't know how to utilize because he's been a heck of a lot better in Brooklyn than he ever was in Detroit. But then you look at the Toronto and Philadelphia series, and you would think Philadelphia should have no issues with this series, even though it's a four or five matchup, but you look at the last couple times they played, and the Raptors are the ones with no issues whatsoever. And Bede has had problems. He has not been himself when he's played the Raptors this year. And, you know, from Pascal Siakam to Fred Van Vliet, like these two guys have really stepped up. Uh, they, you know, when, when Pascal went down with the injury, Fred Van Vliet was carrying that team, really. And then, you know, Pascal comes back, and he's averaging like 25 a game, acting like there's no big deal that he wasn't even missing. So it's like these two series to me out of the East, I think are going to be by far the two best. And I will not be surprised at all if the Raptors end up winning that one in six or seven. And I think Boston's going to end up taking down the Nets in seven. The, the So the thing about Boston, which I think could give Nets even a slight advantage or at least a fighting chance until Ben Simmons comes back, is that they don't have Robert Williams. Uh, and he might come back in the series – you know, two at some point. Right. Uh, but like, if you don't have Robert Williams, Bruce Brown even said it, which I thought was really ballsy. He was like, Oh, well, Robert Williams there. Now we can just attack Tice and we can attack uh, whoever their other big is. The name's escaping me, but he's like, we can go straight at them. And I was like, Oh, like God, you gotta be pretty confident to be talking like mm-hmm. that, you know, coming off of a, a playing game victory. And then as far as the, the Raptors and the Sixers go, I, I think the Sixers, like top end talent just might be too much. I know it'd be to struggle against them, uh, but the game does slow down in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think that can help guys who go to the foul line a lot, like James Harden does, uh, like Joel Embiid does, where if it's tougher to get points, you know, the, they're probably going to get less foul calls, but both those guys are still so good at drawing fouls that I think they're going to, you know, get up their free throws 
uh, eventually. And I, I do see that being a tough series as well, though, like a really pesky one. Because even if the Sixers, you look at the names and think they're a better team, the Raptors are just a really tough team, um, and they're going to fight and make you work for everything. So if you're picking an upset in the East, you're picking the Nets to upset the Celtics. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with the Raptors to upset the 76ers. So 4-5 is not exactly going out on a limb, but <laughs> – Again, same thing as I just said, you know, but with the teams that we were mentioning in the play-in, it won't surprise me of any of these four teams, you know, moving on out of these two I games. Mean, I mean, hey, man, like even, I don't know, like the, the Hawks and the Heat, I feel like the, the Heat got to be a little bit on alert if the Hawks end up getting the eight seed. Well, we don't, we don't have to wait to make sure the Hawks actually get that eight seed before we can break down that one. <laughs> All right, so in the West, you got number two, Memphis, taking on number seven, Minnesota. You got the third seed, Golden State, taking on six seed, Denver. And then you got four seed, Dallas, and five seed, Utah. So same questions. Which one do you think is the blowout? Which one do you think is the closest battle? Uh, I think Memphis is going to blow out uh, the, the Timberwolves, which like totally wrecks my hot take. We talked about brackets a little bit. The Clippers busted my bracket because if the Clippers were the seven, I was totally ready to pick the seven seed Clippers to uh, upset the Grizzlies. Uh, that's that's not how it shook out. I think the Grizzlies should beat the Timberwolves um, pretty easily. And I, I just think they're a better team. You know, with or without John Morant, they've been really good this year. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. can do a great job on Carl Anthony Towns. And then Memphis just has so many other guys I can throw at you, whether it's Dylan Brooks, you know, obviously Ja, they got Desmond Bain. Um, and it's just like a really, a really tough team to to try and guard, um, and you know to, to try and score on. As far as the closest series, probably I mean I think the the four or five will be pretty close, except Luca's out for game one. So uh, I think the five seed Jazz are probably going to get the upper end, upper hand, because even if Luca comes back, I don't know that he'll be he'll be hundred percent. And I think the the Warriors and the Nuggets is probably the most interesting series. But again, we know we don't know if Steph Curry is going to come back. He was on Draymond's podcast talking about you know his plan has always been to come back for Game One, but you know nothing's been confirmed for that yet. Uh, but I think that'd be interesting because you have this Nuggets team who has been playing without stars all year. Obviously, they have Jokic, but they've been playing without Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. And while that is a you know detriment to them they've at least had basically the entire season to play with the group of guys that they're playing with. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Warriors, they were trying to work back. Uh, well, they're trying to work back Steph now. They're trying to work back Clay Thompson. They're trying to work back Draymond Green, um, you know, not too long ago. You know, trying to work back, you know, a guy like James Wiseman into the lineup. Um, again, not too long ago. So I think that's going to be an interesting series. Probably not a whole lot of defense played, but I can see that one where it's, you know, 1-1. 2-1-2-2-3-2-3-3 all the way to a game seven uh, because I do think those two teams are that like just I, I think they're that even where the Warriors have the star power um, and they have home court but the Nuggets are going to have that team cohesion as weird as that sounds because you know they're missing their second and third best players. So just for for updates for those out there Steph did scrimmage with the Warriors and he is optimistic that he'll be ready to go for game one. If Steph is 85% for this series. I think this thing's a wrap in five. Damn. I I don't – look, I, I understand what Jokic has done with the team around him. But I look at the Warriors who have all this experience and still all this talent and the head coach and Steve Kerr 
that has been in this situation so many times already that I just I don't believe Denver is going to put up much of a fight. Again, I, I think it might be one game. It might be two. They might steal one, you know, for a second game. But I think the Warriors are going to end up actually beating down them if Steph is there. Even without, if it was without Steph, if Steph is, you know, missing the first game or two, I agree with you. It could absolutely go seven. But if Steph's there for game one and he's 80% or more, I just have a hard time seeing Denver handling what the Warriors can do when they play as a cohesive unit. Anybody, actually, in the NBA. But Denver with missing two of their, you know, three biggest stars to go along with Joker, I just think it's going to be a hard battle for them. The Dallas one, you know, Luka's not going to play game one. That gives Utah a heck of a lot of, you know, optimism to make this a battle. But, you know, everything we've talked about with Utah this year, the chemistry issues, how they have fallen off this year, I I, got to believe that, you know, unless Luka is out-out for games, plural, I think, you know, Dallas is going to end up taking that series in six or seven. And then – I agree with you with Memphis. You know, I think Memphis is not going to have too many problems with Minnesota. They're not that experienced yet, you know, so I can see this going six. I don't think it's going to go seven, but I don't know if they're going to beat them in five either. I don't know if they're going to gentlemen sweep them. I think there could be, you know, again, another game that Minnesota somehow steals, but Ja absolutely has the ability to go off every night for 40 plus points. And we see Memphis's record without Ja, which is just like, the weirdest thing to see, like for someone as important and as good as Morant is to see his team play so well without him. It's just a weird anomaly of like, OK, this is just a yeah. good team on its own without having its best player, which is, you know, a rare occurrence in the NBA. Yeah, I think the I think the one spot that we disagree on is I, I think Utah is going to beat Dallas. I think Luca being out game one is obviously a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. But even when Luca comes back as great as he is. I don't love the Mavs offense in the playoffs because it's a lot of, you know, Luca's the center of the universe. And then all the other guys are trying to make things happen. And typically we've seen that not work out in the playoffs, right? I know the Rockets were able to win a couple series, but James Harden had a better supporting cast around him in Houston than Luca does in Orlando right now. In Orlando, I'm sorry, in Dallas right now. <laughs> and, uh, and no, the Jazz have just, you know, they're just a team that's been in the playoffs pretty much every year. And even with the friction, of Donovan Mitchell and, you know, Rudy Gobert that we talked about uh, a couple episodes ago. I I think they're still experienced enough that they can win that series, especially if Dallas is going to play the way that they played all year, which is, you know, everything centered around Luka. And obviously, you know, you don't have him for game one. He might be hampered the rest of the series. I don't think it's a great sign that he's not playing in game one necessarily. And I just don't think the the supporting role is like with those guys just kind of like standing around. Um, I don't know that that's going to be enough to, you know, uh, upset. And they might be favored. It's probably pretty even. Um, I just don't think it's going to be enough to beat a Jazz team who has been together, who does have a guy of their own, who's, you know, a borderline superstar in his own right. And then, you know, another guy who's one of the best defensive players in the league. Yeah, I mean, unlike the East where I can see a couple upsets happening, you know, the only quote-unquote upset I see happening is the five over the four. And they're so close, even with Luka healthy, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's all, almost a pick em. And without him, obviously, I'm, I agree with you. I'm pretty sure Utah has to be a little bit of a favorite without Luka Doncic there for Dallas. Uh, I don't I don't see Denver pulling off an upset, a flat-out upset over the Warriors, and I don't see Minnesota pulling an upset over Memphis. Until the Clippers get Kawhi back, and then watch. There you go. 
All right, so we got weeks to break these games down because the playoffs are just about to get underway. Looking forward to it, as always. Ryan, six years ago, on this date, I ordered an awesome pair of Nikes. <laughs> I saw the ones that Kobe was rocking on his final game, the black ones with the gold swoosh in them, and I was looking at them, and I was like, this is my man's last game. I've got to get me a pair of those. And then I went on the Nike ID and you could, you know, design it yourself. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so I made them absolutely unique. And I still to this day have not worn them. They sit in the box looking extra crispy. But on the, well, on yesterday, <laughs> April 13th of six years ago, Kobe Bryant came out and dropped 60 points on the Utah Jazz. Thanks to Shaq, who challenged him to score 50. <laughs> and one of the best quotes from Shaq that I can't say on the air, but uh, I challenged him to score 50 and the MFR scored 60. <laughs> but have you ever seen anything like that? Do you think we'll ever see anything like that again for a man in his final game? I understand he took 50 shots, no. but the man scored 60 points in his swan song game. No. Um, I mean, I honestly, maybe LeBron. Right when LeBron decides to hang it up, LeBron's going to want that retirement tour just like Kobe. He's certainly going to announce this is my last season playing. Uh, so I, I could see LeBron doing it, um, and you know trying to play up him and Kobe being such great friends. He might score exactly sixty mm -hmm. uh, just to you know kind of have that parallel with him and Kobe. Other than that, no, I, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that uh, again because it takes. You know, it, it takes such a special combination of like star power and you still have to be able to do it, um, and, you know, and you still have to play the the amount of minutes. Right. Most of the guys who are retiring or who we know it's going to be their last season, they're usually pretty old and they're not out there running, you know, however many minutes Kobe played, probably played like 40 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just don't think we'll see it. One thing that I do remember about that day, and it's just a, like a testament to the star power of what Kobe Bryant. Uh, brought was that was the same day that the Warriors were going for 73 wins um, and the games were on at the same time so they're both being broadcast on television and as much as I wanted to see the Warriors do 73 and 9 I was I was on the Lakers game and Kobe's going off and I'm like I'm not really going to switch back and forth like I just kind of I kind of got to watch this I, I got to see this through uh, you know he has an awesome speech at the end um, and it was just a, a really special moment one of I don't know what a top blank moment in NBA history it is, but it is certainly, you know, up there. If you're going to give me a book of like 20, it's probably one of the top 20 minute moments in NBA history. Just seeing what he meant to the game and then seeing him be able to go out. One of the greatest scorers of all time go out uh, on 60 points, you know, was uh, was special. 60 points and a win with some clutch buckets. So yep. a lot of very kind of, you know, Kobe-esque stuff or stuff that we, you know, get to, got to know him for throughout his career was on display that game. So I was literally about to ask you which game were you watching between oh, yeah. Kobe 60 and the Warriors going for 73 wins because I do remember that as well. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the 60 and the win, they're 17th <laughs> of the year. They were projected – their over-under was 28, <laughs> and they were nowhere near it. That was a bad, bad basketball team. But that one, that one final night, uh, that was unbelievable. You know, I, I don't know which I enjoy watching more, his 60 and his final, or when they replay the 81. Like, it's kind of – it's half a dozen either way. I love them both. Uh, but 
you know, to see his teammates when he would pass the ball and they just throw it right back to him. Like, no, 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 not today. <laughs> not today. I'm not taking any shots. You take these shots. As it, for one of the greatest of all time who had such, because I don't know, you know, I think it gets lost. I think it gets forgotten with the Achilles injury. But Ryan, the man goes to the free throw line when he tears his Achilles and scores points 34 and 35 on the night with, you know, three and a half minutes to go. This man was still very much near the top of his game before the Achilles tear. And, you know, yeah. come back from it and even semi-produce the way he did and then to just go out with that final one, I don't think we're going to see anything close to it. You know, I understand the idea of LeBron doing it. LeBron, to me, just isn't that kind of scorer. You know, I understand he upped his average this year from 25 to 30. I just Unless he's still able to drive to the rack <laughs> when he's 44 years old, I just don't know if it's going to be possible because I just don't think he can shoot the way that Kobe can shoot. But we've never seen anything like it before, and I think we're going to be hard-pressed to see something like it since. I, I, I bet LeBron gets close. I don't think LeBron goes out on 34. Like I'll say that. Okay. I think LeBron. I think LeBron's at least aiming for 50. All right, enough reminiscing. That was yesterday. That was yesteryear. Long time ago. We for the here and now. And our man, Michigan State Spartan bred Miles Bridges. Uh, we got maximum of mouthpieces down there because <laughs> the conversation should have been about Miles Bridges commanding a max contract. But it has very recently become Miles Bridges smacked a girl in the face with his mouthpiece when he was trying to hit a taunter when he got ejected from the game against those Hawks. So, you know, Miles came out, you know, press conference, apologized profusely, you know, feels bad about it. You know, I, I in great sure he, apology. Was that? It's a great apology. But, and it's not a good look. He got hit with a what, $50,000 fine for it? Is it going to affect his contract status? Oh, if you're the Pistons, you hope so. <laughs> but I mean, no, it came out. He, you know, he, he, he's expected to command the max. I think Jake Fisher reported it, uh, which for him would be five years and 173 million, which is just under 35 million dollars uh, a year for for the five years. And that's it gets tricky, right? Because he's a guy who's up for most improved this year. Uh, he's played really well. He seems he's been, gotten better every year that he's been in the NBA, which you'd love to see. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're like, oh, maybe you can go to a different team. But then you throw that $35 million, you know, a year price tag on him. And you're like, oh, no, may, like maybe not for that. Maybe I don't want my team to sign him. Or it's a guy all year where it's, oh, man, if the Pistons get Miles Bridges next year, like watch out. You got Sadiq, you got Cade, uh, you know, you got uh, you got Miles Bridges, Killian, Isaiah Stewart, all those guys. And then now you're talking about, the, you know, that kind of money instead of 25 million a year, it's 35. Uh, and I think it just gives you a little bit of pause. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Miles last year rejected the Hornets contract extension. They offered him 60 million over four years. This man knew his worth. He played up for his worth. I mean, you talk about career highs across the board for him. Points, assists, rebounds, steals, blocks, usage, everything. He's just like you said, he's improved. Every year, he made a leap this year to be, you know, one of the be better young stars in the NBA. Would I love to see him rocking red, white, and blue? Absolutely. For 35 mil a year, that's uh, any price tag, Ryan. I know. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough, and it, you know, it, 
he is what the Pistons, you know, could use. Uh, he's, he's a scorer, 20 points a game this year, you know, seven boards, still not that great of a three-point shooter, you know, 33%, 80% from the line. Uh, and uh, obviously like a, a super freak athlete, which the Pistons are lacking tremendously. You know, they don't have anybody that, uh, that Ooh, the, that's who, as athletic, that man? you know, as Miles Bridges is. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough. As as much as I have loved the idea of Miles Bridges on the Pistons, you know, really since he was coming out of the draft and especially seeing what he was doing this year, I I don't think that I, I want to max him out. Um, not yet anyway. But, I mean, Troy Weaver did make a comment the other day, you know, the Pistons are going to be more aggressive in ways that they weren't aggressive, you know, since he's been here. And obviously that's you know, it hints towards free agency because they haven't really done anything in free agency except bring in uh, Jeremy Grant and, you know, everything else has kind of been, you know, a little bit more shrewd. Mm-hmm. But I, if I'm the Pistons, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think I want that. If it happens, I don't necessarily know that I'll be mad about it either, but I think for, you know, a, a max miles bridges, uh, I think I would pass as much as that hurts me to say. So I've thought about this a lot throughout their years in college as well as their early years in the pros coming up. Which bridges do you want more? We got Miles and we got Mikhail. Uh Yeah, I think I would take uh, Mikhail. Um He's, to me, the defense is obviously a separator. Um, he's, he's also a good three-point shooter. And he's just, not that I don't trust Miles Bridges, I guess. But uh, Mikhail Bridges has obviously already played in the finals. Um, and he seems like he would accept a role knowing that he is not the best player on the team more so than like miles bridges would you know it feels like if you're going to give miles bridges a max contract uh, you know he's probably going to want to be you know the the number one on the team and here we have Cade, so that just wouldn't happen and even if he's cool being the one b sort of like he is in charlotte right now with lamello um i don't know i just think mikhail bridges you know can kind of fit more spots easily uh and fill more holes that you have uh, on a team yeah i mean defensively i absolutely agree with you and i mean it, it's kind of obvious you know one of these guys is up for defensive player of the year the other one is not offensively I've, we'd have a heck of a lot more fun watching miles bridges and he could hit, hit a couple game winners for us that i don't think you know the other bridges would but i think overall i think his defense you know makes a bigger difference in the game than miles bridges offense would but so as much as it hurts me i agree with you but it's just something I've always thought about when one was at Michigan State and the other was at Villanova, and they were two of the better young stars in college as well. They had a lot of hype around them in college. So it was just kind of interesting to me. I know they're not related or anything, but it was just like, oh, yeah, we've got two big stars named Bridges, and yeah. their first names are similar. So I was like, eh. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to have to max out, you know, Mikhail too, especially after the, uh, the Suns well, won the championship. He's defensive player of the year. Yeah, after the Suns won the title. Yeah, he's he going to demand that. <laughs> All right, before we sign off for the night, winning time, we got to discuss it. This uh, this was an interesting episode, Ryan. A lot of uh, interpersonal situations, jumping from character to character, kind of dealing with their own stuff in this one uh, with, uh, you know, Jack McKinney laid up in a coma and Paul Westhead going back and forth, you know, from the hospital to figuring out how he's going to lead this team. And then Magic with his stuff with the endorsements and dealing with, I guess that's his agent and his agent's daughter. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's a different kind of episode than what we've seen so far for winning time. 
Yeah, and I, you know, you just kind of started to see like the the branding of Magic Johnson, not just with the the Phil Knight story, you know, which at least as a story is true, maybe didn't happen exactly like that. But he was offered stock, and then he turned it down to go to Converse, and today it'd be worth five point two billion dollars. Um, you know, you had that branding, you had his agent say, you know, Magic, that smile shouldn't be giving anyone bad news. And then you even saw when uh, Dr. Buss was trying to convince the bankers to, you know, extend their loan payment or whatever he was trying to do. It's like, hey, Magic, come over here. And he's talking to them. He's like, this guy's our future. This guy's the, the face of the, this guy's the face of the team. Um, and, you know, Magic took that all in stride, you know, after Richard Pryor had kind of told him not to. Right. He was like, hey, you know, don't let these white people keep telling you what to do. Um, and it seems like Magic made a, a business decision that's worked out very well for him. He's a very rich man. Um, and, you know, I think that. Yeah. And then that's a good event. Um, but I mean, I, I just think is uh, uh, to me, that was kind of the, the more entertaining part of that, you know, as opposed to Dr. Buss dealing with his mom or, um, you know, Paul West had dealing with uh, with Jack McKinney. Man, could you imagine the Nike abracadabras? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was it, too. They said, you know, now your name's Magic. He's like, Irvin. They're like, nope. nope. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're Magic. You might be Irvin. <laughs> Brandon, you Magic. Yeah. Now, it was, uh, I don't know, because there wasn't nearly as much action as we've been seeing, you know, from some of the episodes before this one. Uh, but, you know, there, there's, you know, good and bad for both sides of it, but getting the, you know, the deeper look into some of these people and, you know, their, their situations, you know, crisis or, or, or whatnot they were dealing with, you know, the bus one is really interesting with, you know, the bank and the loan and all that, and how he could potentially lose the team, you know, because he can't, you know, pay, pay back what he owes to, you know, the magic stuff to obviously, you know, Paul Westhead and just, you are now the coach of these teams. And like, can you do this? And he's like, no. Yes. Like, like, I don't know. I was teaching Shakespeare this time last year. Oh, I mean, you got you, you told him to start Michael Cooper. Yeah. The, the spiral down of Spencer Haywood, which we're about to see. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how much they go into that spiral when it comes to Spencer Haywood. It seems like they're going to go into a bunch of it because Spencer Haywood's, you know, kind of positioned himself as a main figure in this uh, in this show these last, you know, two episodes. And they got a great actor to play him. I mean, I've I've loved that man since Remember the Titans. <laughs> he hasn't aged since Remember the Titans. No, he really look about the same. He looks like he can suit right back up for Denzel. Oh well, like when they when they first brought him in, I was like, "Is that Julius?" Like, no way. Remember the Titans was so long ago. There's no way he still looks like that. Sure enough. <laughs> yep. It's funny. I keep I keep bumping into him because the wife and I we, we watched The Wire recently. We watched Oz, two great shows on HBO, and he's in both of them. The Wire for a while, the Oz for like a hot minute. But uh, I keep bumping into this man, and now I get the the latest version of him because even those were a lot of years ago. And so all of a sudden, now seeing him, you know, this one playing Spencer Haywood, and I know there's no way he's as tall as Spencer Haywood was, but they make it look good. And you know, he looks good with the beard. He doesn't look quite as old as I thought he would at this point in his life. But uh, great actor, great role. Uh, the one I will I, I need to see more of to see if I actually like him or not is whoever they got to play Jack. Because they showed that quick shot of Jack Nicholson, you know, when Jerry Buss is meeting with the uh, you know, with the bankers. And I looked at him for a minute, I'm like, that's I mean, I guess, I guess that's Jack. They should just get the real Jack Nicholson to play. Right? Like, come on. So, so regardless of age, you just, just young. this is you. Right. The de-age him like the, the Irishman. 
They made Captain America like five foot six. I'm sure they can make Jack look like he's 30 years old again. <laughs> Probably. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us for tonight. Uh, before we get out of here, got to remind you guys, like and subscribe Boom. wherever you can find us. That would be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and DetroitSportsNation.com. Of course, he's Ryan Griffin. I'm Matt Bass, and we throwing stones. Thank you for hanging out with us. We'll see you guys again real soon. Yes, sir. Make sure you're commenting on those videos and then all the other videos that the uh, Detroit Sports Nation has to offer as well. Tons of great shows, not just this one.